0: Hello and welcome to the leaders council podcast the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running you join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital i'm matthew o'neill and today as always we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership first we're joined by rob chester uk managing director of nsf a global independent organization that protects human health by developing public health and safety standards and providing certification and testing services. Mr. Chester's had a glittering career, which has seen him hold leadership positions in some of the world's most recognizable red-letter companies. Currently, Rob Chester oversees over 300 employees and 300 further contractors. And in 2018, under Mr. Chester's leadership, NSF earned the accolade of Company of the Year at the Society of Food and Hygiene, and Technology Awards. And now let's hear from the man himself. Rob, hello. Hello, Matthew. Well, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you again. Um, A lot has changed since the last time we spoke at the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, Can you bring our listeners up to date as to where NSF is now?
1: Yeah, as you say, uh, it feels um, it feels like uh, the world is changing faster right now than probably really? it has for, for any time in uh, in history. Yeah, my business is doing is doing pretty well. Um, we are um, we're, we're we're recovering broadly at the same speed as our customers, um, and and we're quite lucky in that we have quite a diverse business in the UK. So we do a variety of things in a variety of different sectors, and, and we're very lucky actually that that some of those sectors of the economy have, have continued pretty well through uh through COVID. So we've still got a very varied situation is how I'd describe it. Um that there are some parts of business that are performing really well and there's others that are that are still struggling because the, the customers that we serve in those sectors are still struggling too. So yeah, it's um it's still a very a very evolving picture is how I'd describe it right now.
0: As we prepare to uh, begin to slowly exit lockdown, uh, how do you see your company's role within the new post-COVID reality? As someone who sits within the health and safety field,
2: um,
1: to make us as indispensable to our customers as um, as possible. Um, as um, I'm, I'm fortunate in, I I do quite a lot of mentoring and discussions with lots of other business leaders and. And they, they constantly remind me how lucky we are to be in the public health sector right now and and, mm. and how lucky I am compared to some of their businesses in the sectors where they're where they're operating. Uh, and that's largely that's true. You know, a lot of our customers do need us right now and, and hopefully new customers will need us because this is a it's a very um, dynamic situation is is COVID. Um, it's changing all the time and there's one thing people look a lot for, isn't it? They want certainty. They just want to know what they've got to do in situations like this. And unfortunately, because of COVID and because it's a very evolving situation, that certainty is quite hard to come by. Um, so my by word at the moment, really, is to try and make ourselves as essential to our customers as as possible um, because we can help them mm-hmm. in, in, in in with the complexity they're having to deal with um, if we can make ourselves indispensable to how they're trying to deal with that and bring some clarity to the situation, then then hopefully we can make ourselves indispensable as, as they try and cope with what this new normal is going to look like, which is very varied in different sectors, very varied in different sectors.
0: Now, I understand that NSF has uh, initiated uh, a new initiative called a Checked by NSF uh, program to help businesses reopen. Uh, maybe you could let our listeners in on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fundamental basis, it actually was a, a customer that said to me uh, the concept that guidelines are not enough. Um, if there's one thing that, that, that the governments around the world are doing right now is these copious amounts of guidelines that get um, sent out to, to businesses and to sectors. Uh, there you go, that's how you do things. Um, the analogy this customer used was that, like giving someone the highway code and expecting them to be able to drive a car. <laughs> um, it usually doesn't work out too well because ultimately, of, of course, guidelines have got to be operationalized. Mm. You have to take them and turn them into uh, into understandable things. That people can implement in a business and and run it as well as they can and and we are we're fortunate at NSF that we we have a huge variety of customers you know from the from the very biggest through to the through to the very smallest and even some of our biggest clients and customers have really struggled with this concept of being able to operationalize these new changes on the ground and and that's basically what Check by NSF is all about for those that want a bit of a framework, it's a great framework for them to, to try and operationalize the stuff that they're trying to get going in their organisation to get people to understand the new processes, the new rules, the new approach. Um, but for those that want a bespoke offer, um, we're happy to help them to help them too because uh, we we do as I say we help businesses that have got big in-house compliance teams, lots of expertise, lots of lots of knowledge, and, and we help the very smallest guys that have got. Got very little of that. So yeah, our, our approach is to try and tailor it. But if I was to sum it up in one word, it is that it's just that concept that basically guidelines are not enough. You mm. you've got to be able to operationalize this in your business and 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 teach people, train people on new habits really quite quickly. Um, mm. Which as we all know from our New Year's resolutions every year, we all know how hard it is to stick to new things that we've got to um we've got to change behavior with
0: now if any of the listeners would like to take advantage of this new program uh how would they go about that
1: um you can find us through our website uh, nff um or frankly I'm, i'm quite easy to find so you can stick me into linkedin and i i've answered quite a lot of customers that have come to me through social media or or followed me on Twitter. Oh, well, I can't remember my Twitter name. That's not good, is it? For me to be like <laughs> it? But, but there we go. Um, you live and learn. But yes, no, you can find me pretty easily just through, through googling me, Rob Chester NSF, and you'll find us. And and like I say, we're, we're proud to help the very biggest businesses
0: through to the through to the very smallest. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a bit about those guidelines coming uh, from central governments around the world. Um, there are a lot of them, as we've mentioned. Uh, yeah. What do you think of the effectiveness of them? Do you think a lot of them are uh, a lot of smoke uh, to make it seem as if they are achieving something? Or do you think that uh, just the sheer volume of guidelines coming out is uh, causing the populace to become more confused and less and more complacent uh, than they would be if they were just? Clear, straightforward guidelines.
1: Yeah, no, I've, I've got a lot of sympathy with the government position. I, I really do. Governments of all countries and all persuasions, I really do, because it is a very difficult. Um, it's a very difficult situation to handle. Um, the, the the concept that we had in the UK of, of of getting everybody to stay at home through the first phase of COVID it was a lovely, simple message, always very easy. You know, everybody could grasp it, couldn't be those lovely three-line words that they were coming up with, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. It's really simple and really easy. And obviously, when a government moves away from that to, to a more nuanced approach, that's when you're always going to get into much more difficulty um, with, with those pesky journalists that then get on to those... The, the minutiae of these different areas and and where it really doesn't make a lot of sense to people as the situation changes. And mm-hmm. um, you've only got to look at the, the, the thing around face masks being the the obvious example right now, where where as, as we speak tomorrow that's when they're going to become compulsory shots. Mm-hmm. They haven't been compulsory in shots until now. So trying to explain that to the to the to the public and to businesses. That that's a really hard challenge, and I I don't um I don't envy them in terms of dealing with all of that. Um, for our clients, what we try and do is is try and describe why the journey is changing, and 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 therefore try and make it a little simpler to understand why these different guidelines are moving in different directions. And let me just give you one example from a customer discussion I was having this morning. This mm-hmm. is a customer that runs a, a restaurant. And basically their their question to me was, look, Rob, I've looked at the guidance for gyms and that's much, much easier to, to follow and use and rule. So why can't I use that in restaurants? You know, I've got my customers who go to the gym, they come to a restaurant, there, there's different rules there, they're, they're easier to, to, to follow and use. I'd just rather use those. And, and of course, in, in simple terms, that, that can make a lot of sense. But but obviously, the the, the approach the government here is taking is that some sectors of the economy are inherently risky, and hence more difficult to control and and, and manage safely than others. Um, And and gyms is obviously one of those things which the government has left to later in their plan because they understand it is not as easy to to operate those, those premises as safely as other premises. And therefore they come up obviously with, with more risk based approaches to what they do in those uh in those sectors. So yes, I think it is a I think it's a, a, in many cases it is a confusing and it is an evolving picture. And and I think it's one where you 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 have to force your brain to adopt a growth mindset that says, Look, these situations are gonna change, they're gonna develop, they're gonna they're gonna move. Um those people that are looking for one-time certainty that never changes um, i'm afraid i are going to be sadly disappointed because mm. unfortunately covid is not that type of situation it, it, it's evolving
0: do you think that the uh, point scoring that uh, the journalists have been engaged in with the government has been uh, detrimental to uh, the public uh, being able to adopt these regulations that are coming out uh, there's been a lot of point scoring um, is that just making it much more difficult for people?
1: Um, I think on occasions, yes. I think that's true. Um, I think that the thing with, um, with the, the wonderful journalists is that journalists love simplicity, don't they? They, they always reach for easy answers. Mm. And unfortunately, this is not a situation that lends itself well to easy answers. Um, as my father used to say to me, you know, that, for every complex problem, Rob, there's, a, there's an easy answer. The, the trouble is it's wrong. And, and that, I think, sums up the, the situation in many ways. Uh, but of course, there are some things that really do not make a, a, a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's very difficult when you want to try and take a risk-based approach to situations. To come up with a thoroughly consistent approach that it will apply in all circumstances and across all across all sectors. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think journalists have got an obligation to try and do their best to help the public to understand this. Mm. But at the same time, they also have a really important job of, of speaking truth to power and, and holding the powers that be responsible for... The decisions they make, so they, they they play they play many roles, don't they, journalists? Absolutely. Um, and and I think therefore it it's also a tough time for those guys in terms of how they're handling this.
0: Well, while we are in the uh, sort of tricky neck of the woods, uh, do you think that devolution has uh, been a, a blessing or a hindrance to our efforts to contain COVID?
1: Uh gosh. Um yeah, I don't I don't think it's particularly been a hindrance other than I think it's it has led to this overall view of um complexity. That when we, we've for the exact same scenario ended up with different statuses in England, Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland all at the same time. It's pretty hard to explain to people why that was and 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 therefore I I think uh, it it I'm I'm personally I'm a big fan of of, of making decision making as local as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. In, in principle, I'm a fan of that, and I think that the closer power is to people locally, the more they're, they're going to feel it. Um, they're going to feel it's relevant for them. But the same, obviously, we uh, and therefore we have people that are travelling from. England, Wales, North Ireland, Scotland, and they're having to deal with different rules they, as they do that, um, no one's going to argue, that that's going to be simple for people to understand. So I think it is a paradox, isn't it, that uh, people want as much simplicity around this situation as they can, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of fans of evolution who think it's absolutely right that, that local governments in those, in those areas are making decisions. Absolutely. So yeah I think it's um I think it's a it's a very good question because it's a it's a very difficult paradox and I don't think there's one straightforward easy
0: answer to it. Now I don't know uh, about your feelings on this but a lot of people uh, have felt that uh, particularly the, the SNP's approach uh, to uh, the COVID-19 outbreak has amounted to quite a bit of uh, point scoring against Westminster. Um Do you feel that uh, their undercutting of uh, England's stance on uh, the coronavirus uh, protection measures have uh, decreased the public's trust in uh, the measures taken here within England?
1: Um, I don't think so. I I do think um, Scotland has had a... uh, Certainly the numbers and the figures in Scotland on coronavirus, do seem to indicate that the handling of the uh, crisis in Scotland has been has been good. Uh, they they still had the challenges around care homes, haven't they? Where they've got a similar situation to the other the other devolved nations. Um, but I I don't think that necessarily been. And um, what I what I would say again is that I I, I have a lot of sympathy with with those customers that we service today for example where we have we have customers that have sites in england and have sites in wales and sites in Scotland, where they've got um where they've got to deal with these different situations on the ground and have colleagues in their facilities understanding these different situations on the ground that's where i've got a lot of sympathy and where where those people are thirsting i think really for a a simpler approach um but no i i wouldn't accuse them of uh, I, wasn't, I wouldn't accuse them of being disingenuous as to what they try to do.
0: How has the pandemic changed the way that public health is protected? Will we see an expanded role for organizations such as yours in the future
1: um Yes I think it's going to change quite a i, I think covid has 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 shown quite a lot of um, business rules people have maybe uh, used in the past, have been shown to be um, a little naive in a world of COVID. Um, I, for example, through my career, have been a big a big fan of lead. Um, you know, how supply chains have all been lead over the last uh, 15, 20 years, following, you know, the, the Toyota approach from Japan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and a lot of those decisions around, for example, things like, it, it doesn't matter where in the world your suppliers are. Um don't hold holding stock. That, that's a bad idea, that's dead money. Don't don't do that. Um use just in time deliveries. Um, and a lot of those a lot of those um principles on, on which many business leaders have run their business for the last few years, um, now look really questionable, don't they? In the light mm. of COVID. They they look like they um they were they were taken at a very different time, and I think there there are aspects yes of things like risk management to help. I think everybody's seen um covid as one of those uh, things that may appear on a risk map to be having a huge impact if they came, but the likelihood of them occurring was always relatively low um and I think everybody's getting a reminder right now that when they do occur, the, the, the amount of financial exposure and risk that that's created in the world is, is quite enormous. And therefore, I think, yeah, for things like public health, for things like even, even things like business continuity expertise, which has been quite niche in, in the business world. You know, there are some of our customers who do have extensive business continuity, of what happens if this risk happens or that risk? But it's always been seen as quite a niche area. I think a lot of those niche areas are now going to come far more into the uh, into the field and into um, into the um, the the purview of of running an everyday business because I think mean, everybody's just had a really good reminder of what the heck happens when when Mm. these really high impact events that may have a low likelihood but if they come along have a disruptive nature. Uh, So yes, I do think um, things like public health will um, be taken a a lot more seriously, I think, in the future. I I, I do. I think um, what's the old adage of never wasting good crisis. And, And I do therefore think a lot of businesses have had a real reminder as to um, as to why a lot of these things are really important.
0: What would you say uh, would be the sort of practices that companies should put into place place now to maximize their effectiveness in the post COVID world?
1: Oh, I think that's about building trust. Um, I I uh, uh, the customers that I've talked to recently um, about this area. Um, I've been advising all of them to try and take a long-term view about building trust with their with their customers and with their employees. I think that that's vital. If you're going to take a long-term view of business, if you're going to be a business that wants to be around in 10, 15, 20 years. Don't take short-term decisions. Take take longer-term decisions. Um, and around creating trust. Um, I, I have four things that I that I personally use that are sort of staple to my desk as to how you do that. I think the first thing is you have to behave predictably and consistently. You 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 really want to have customers having, for example, a consistent experience when they come to your facilities. You don't want them one time to come in uh, and have a temperature taken and then come the following day and oh no we're not doing that anymore and then the following day yes we're back on. They, they're not going to think that you're treating it properly. Um, so, firstly, behave predictably and consistently. Um, secondly, communicate as clearly as you possibly can. Um, the, the customers want to know what to expect when they turn up. So, please do the best you can to communicate as, as clearly and as simply what your controls are, what steps you're taking, what measures you're taking. Um, thirdly, treat promises really seriously. So, if you promise you're going to do something, if you're going to give a guarantee to a, a customer that this is how we're going to operate, this is what we do. Please, please, please take that really seriously and follow through on those, mm. and always make sure you're going to do it, and um, because promises matter in times like uh, in times like the one we're facing right now. And finally, be as, as forthright and as candid as you uh, as you possibly can. Um, I think a lot of uh, business leaders in tough times can think they're doing people a favour by not necessarily being um, as candid and as upfront as they maybe need to be. Um, but one of my one of my golden rules is try not. Yes, you give hope. Uh, you want to give hope to your colleagues and your customers about the future and where where you're going as a business. But you don't want to do that in a false way. You don't want to give false hope. So yeah, I think it's all about creating trust. You can do a good job of creating trust. With your customers you are likely to have a better long-term future than than those that that
0: don't. Now, uh, before we finish our interview today, I'd like to pivot away from the pandemic for a moment, if I may, and uh, touch on your experience from one of your past lives, as it were. Uh, For a good amount of time, you lived and worked in China. Uh, With all the shifts in the world stage at the moment, uh, China's relationship with Hong Kong and the West, uh, the COVID situation and so on and so forth, what sort of effect do you think this will have on our future relationship with uh, China and what does this mean for the average Chinese man on the street?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's changed remarkably since I lived. I lived in China. Uh, I left China in 2014. i have lived there very proudly and very happily for three years. an Amazing experience, and and I still uh, I I still mentor a, a, a large group of Chinese people. So I I speak to them frequently about about the situation and about what's happening. I think it's changed a lot actually since I left in 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 2014. At that stage, I thought. Um, President Xi was, was taking a, a more cautious approach as to how he was developing China's footprint. And certainly my view is, since I left, is that that's changed a lot. I think the Hong Kong example would probably be the one that, that to me, appears like China has taken a much more aggressive approach dealing with Hong Kong than I would have ever predicted back mm-hmm. when I was there in twenty fourteen. I, I think it's changed a lot. And I, I I do think at the moment see the the UK government coming under increasing pressure because of that to take a a harder a harder line with China. Um and so yes, I, I do think it is going to make relationships, relationship business I, I think it will make things tougher. Um, and like I say, I have real mixed views about that because I, I I live there very happily and I have a tremendous soft spot for the Chinese people. And I I guess when I'm when I'm answering questions like this, I I do try and differentiate between the Chinese people where I I have nothing but joy and love for the, the, the my old Chinese team. I still have their picture next to me on my desk of, of the team that I built there. Um, versus the, the the Chinese leadership government system. Um, obviously the two are intertwined but I, I do try and think of them quite separately because uh, my experience with the people of China was, was categorically not what I expected I went there thinking I was going to be entering a very dour communist country etc cetera, etc cetera. and I um, I found that, that the sense of humour of the Chinese people was just amazing when you live in and working with them every day so yeah I, I do think it's going to be a real period of change with China where it's going to be, I think, a, a lot more fractious between um, between countries um, that that take a harder line with China. I think just seeing that already with Australia, um, with some of the decisions they've taken and the impact that's having now on Australian trade. Um, and so yes, I, I do think it's going to be a period where where relations are going to be more strained.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, putting aside for a moment the the obvious concerns over human rights uh, and religious freedoms and so on and so forth within uh, mainland China. If we talk uh, a bit about Hong Kong as a financial entity, as the uh, uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, increases their control over the city-state, how do you think the financial health of Hong Kong will develop?
1: I think it'll change to have a much more mainland Chinese approach. Um, one of my um, one of my business associates runs one of the major luxury hotels in Hong Kong, and I actually visited back in uh, December last year. Was my last trip there, and um, I had I had dinner with him while I was there. And, and one of the things he told me was that when when I used to live in in one of his hotels, that the the, the client base in uh, that hotel when I was there four or five years ago it was 80% Western, 20% Mainland Chinese. And he said that in less than five years, that had switched. So it's now 80% Mainland Chinese, 20% Western. And I think that tells you how the business district and, and banking sector and other financial it is going to pivot in China. I think it will pivot away from uh, a, a large predominance of, of Western brands and, and, and maybe local Hong Kong brands to being far more um, uh, mainland Chinese, uh, and, and as that happens, obviously there'll be there'll be some people that that will not be for, and therefore a lot of people will probably will probably seek to maybe maybe move on in their lives and and, and sadly leave Hong Kong. But I, I think that's sort of inevitable on, on the way that China is, is running it right now. There's gonna be there's gonna be businesses from the mainland um that are really happy to continue to operate in Hong Kong and will work successfully with that. And I think there are there are gonna be others where it's gonna be far more challenging. So yeah, I do think it's gonna change the the outlook and um and change the the uh, the brands that are that are thriving within Hong Kong, I think,
0: yeah. Now, uh, before we finish, uh, and as we uh, lay the very complex issue of Hong Kong in China to one side, do you have any final thoughts on UK PLC as we ramp up uh, to the final date for the end of the uh, Brexit transition period? Yeah,
1: I think it's... Um... I think it's another area, isn't it, where most businesses are really, really craving certainty. Um, I was listening to um, a gentleman from the Food and Rink Federation, um, Ian Wright, Uh, I I was listening to one of his podcasts this weekend, and and he was really highlighting this, that there are sectors of the economy right now that are craving absolute clarity as to what's going to happen come come December this year and, and January next year. And I think there are some sectors where clarity is now high and they know where they're going and they, they feel a lot more comfortable and controlled about it. And I think there are others where they are still desperate to know uh, what that clearer picture is going to look like. Um, so, yes, I think it's another area where at, at a time when there's already so much business uncertainty, um, people are craving to know what the rules are be and how they're going to be applied and what it's going to mean for them. Because, of course, once the furlough scheme stops from the government in October this year, the brothers are going to have to make them tough decisions about about whether they, whether they try and continue and carry on with their current colleagues or, or they do changes. So anything that makes that even more uncertain, I'm sure for many businesses, is going to be very unwelcome.
0: Well, Rob, I'd like to thank you once again for joining us on the podcast. And as always, you're always welcome back. But for now, Rob, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. That was Rob Chester, UK Managing Director of NSF. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is my exclusive interview with our chairman, Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.
0: Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, Now, it it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus?
2: Were it to be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of solomon really to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly there's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up not just on the economic and employment front which will be devastating enough but on the health and social well-being front enormous challenges and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19 those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated that will roll over into the Economic, the social, the mental health, and cultural well being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well.
0: Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business?
2: I think that the speed of reaction, once the scale of the pandemic was clear, was very good. I've praised Ricky Sudat for his action. Uh, remember, a chancellor who had only just come into office